0: This is the Recorded Conversations Podcast, the podcast dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in an authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. Welcome back to the podcast, listeners. Today, Lasta Dolphin joins the conversation. And fun fact, that name, Lasta, comes from a book called Island of the World by Michael O'Brien, as my guest explains to me later on in the episode. Today's guest wishes to remain anonymous and will just be referred to as Lasta Dolphin by his Twitter or X handle. However, if you are seeking motivation or inspiration or you're looking for a coach to help you transform your mindset so that you can have a better relationship, I highly encourage you to follow them. Today's topic indulges the question, how do you shift your mindset so that you can elevate your marriage? And a caution, this episode will contain sexual topics. Why do we get stuck in our emotions? We indulge that question with, curious uncertainty, and a bit of confusion. I can't tell you how refreshing it is to have a guest hear a question and give an authentic, honest answer like, I don't know. And it's important that we acknowledge when we don't know things because we only know what we know. What's more important is that when you recognize that you don't know something, that you remain curious and open to understanding why. And I think we delve into that in detail within the episode. The truth is expression of emotions are cathartic. It feels good to express our feelings. But what it is that we do with those feelings afterwards is where many people get stuck. And it begs the question, aren't men supposed to be the problem solvers? However, without the language to express one's emotions, many people, men and women, may stay focused on expressing the one emotion they know how to express. Often with men, it's anger, and often with women, it's sadness. The question we must ask is Are men and women socialized to either avoid or express emotions? We discuss that possibility and more. We also talk about how a man navigates his primitive sexual desires and learns how to redirect sexual energy. We also talk about how to turn away from porn dependency by discovering what's underneath. Remember, porn is a symptom of a problem not the problem itself and many porn dependencies stem from uncertainty and insecurity about sexuality or as Lasta explains can stem from just stunted growth this episode is filled with so much substance nuance and is really just about two individual perspectives compassionately considering one another in an authentic connected dialogue and i want to be sure to point out that if you're interested in participating in the Reforged Marriage course, it's imperative that you go find Lasta on Twitter and message him for more details. And if you're interested in more insight or inspiration, be sure to follow today's guest on X, formally and forever known as Twitter. You can find him at the handle Lasta Dolphin. that's L-A-S-T-A-D-O-L- p h i n this conversation was truly enlightening and i'm super appreciative of my guest for coming on and sharing his perspective in an authentic connected dialogue listeners as always i ask you to compassionately consider the perspective of my guest lost a dolphin enjoy the episode Okay, so I discovered you on the Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it, Twitter. And um, what I appreciated about just kind of your tweets was you took a social problem and you didn't lump in all of this negativity, the complaint, the accusation. And you redirect and you're like, this is a good problem. This is a good complaint. And then you offer a remedy. Mm. And the remedies that you offer are very refreshing because so often you see, especially in different like manosphere groups or red pill groups or whatever, you hear a lot about if she does this, leave. If she does this, (laughs) you're done. If she does this, she will never respect you. And you're like, yeah, um, this is a problem. How about a more enlightened conscious way of looking at it? And so that's what kind of really drew me into you. And I've been seeing different names out there, too, doing this where, you know, people are like, "Okay, yeah, these are really good social problems that we need to address. Mm -hmm. But the blaming and the scapegoating and the and the accusing and the just "Well, fuck women, they suck. That kind of approach just isn't working. And I really like yours. So with that. Can I just ask what inspires you to go ahead and do that? What was it from your own personal experience where you were like I got to say something this is just too much?
1: Ah, well thanks Danielle. Yeah, um I mean what inspired me to talk more about this? I think I think because I I lived sort of a transition in my in my own marriage and in my life and mostly I had to talk about it, or I would explode, <laughs> because it was it was really impactful. And yes, I'm finding that I do have a bit of a niche because I look at some of this. I mean, the term "red pill" is getting less and less um, something people want to be associated with, mm-hmm. um, because there's just an an influx of a lot of uh, a lot of angry young men that are just have like swelled the ranks around that. Yeah. Um, but I will say there was a lot of discussions on masculinity in like secular Reddit internet groups um, that I felt like we're having really good conversations, were dealing with some important and neglected truths, and then using it to, ju- to justify some really terrible behavior.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So what if you took the insights and you didn't do that? It seems to be a little, it seems to be a bit of a niche. Um, And I don't know. I don't feel like it should be a niche. I feel like it should be the normal thing, but you know, I'm common
0: sense, right? Like, I'm I'm the one railing
1: against the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I get that. I relate to that a lot too in my line of work with my coaching, in that it seems most people really don't. I don't even know if a lot of people have opened up to being curious about finding solutions. Right now, it's about validating my feelings, right, and, which is important, right. totally. I mean, we have feelings. We need to do something with them, but it never goes beyond just what I call orgasmic outrage, right? It's like I'm generating all of this energy and this big explosion into a reactivity, but there's no repair. There's no reformation. there's no, There's no redirect. There's no reconnection with what I'm actually seeking. So, what is it? Do you think that just just to get your thoughts on this? Do you, why is it? Do you think that so many people are getting really stuck in their emotions and not being curious about now what's the resolution?
1: That's a good question. Um, why are people getting stuck in their emotions and they're not, <sighs> Danielle? I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i love that answer though I really that's don't awesome. know but are um, you curious to know <laughs> I, I am i am curious that's to all know. that matters <laughs>
1: i i would suppose that well okay so validating angry feelings i mean feels good especially if you've had to stuff them down okay mm-hmm. so that's that's cathartic you mean i'm not crazy you yeah. mean i'm not the only one yes this thing that i've been told to shut up and not think about and you know just suppress other people are feeling this too and they're mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore that's it feels good it's cathartic mm-hmm. um but it's being it's then going beyond that and saying okay well what can we do about this and you know as far as well masculinity is concerned are we aren't we men supposed to be problem solvers, right? Like, yeah. uh, and I think, I think we actually, you know, with men, you can tap into a lot of power if you have kind of the right framework and then let them go at solving some problems. So, but you have to, you have to just lay the groundwork. You have to have a sense of what's going on and then, and then you can actually solve it and move towards a goal and everything else.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I see that maybe too, unfortunately, men are just socialized to not have maybe the proper language to even articulate what they're going through, right? And often men are told basically, you know, suck it up, you know, put your big girl panties Mm -hmm. on, right? This is something my husband even says. And and, and sometimes it's necessary to say that. But other times I think women are more socialized to be emotionally expressive and articulate, whereas men are socialized to be more productive, be more robotic, be more mechanic, and to you know only worry about the problems you can solve with your hands. Let the women solve the problems with the speech. And that, that creates a deficit for men to the call that I see in society for men to be like, stepping into their feelings and being more vulnerable and being more expressive and articulate with what they're going through. But because they don't have the language to right? what I find, especially with my own husband is because he didn't have the language growing up. He's really good at expressing anger because anger is acceptable for men. Makes sense. A man would be angry. And so we had to get through like, can we go beyond just anger? Can we go mm-hmm. can we go into a different emotion? But because that there's that socialization and expectation and different social influences that basically say any man who expresses his feelings or emotions is a simp and he's gonna get taken advantage of and his woman's gonna turn it against him. Mm-hmm. And have you always been this way where you were expressive about vulnerability and encouraging men to step into this masculine stage that also acknowledges emotionality? Or did you go through a transformation?
1: I think I think I was always um, I mean, I was always always an expressive person. I like to talk. Um, Mm -hmm. I like to think about things. Um, I've always been, yeah, I've I've been more, more the wear my heart on my sleeve than the the strong, silent type. Mm -hmm. Uh, In some ways, uh, the path, interestingly, in my own, like healing my marriage, Uh, Part of my growth was learning to process my emotions internally a little bit, Mm -hmm. right? Like just because I was upset about something or confused about something or passionate about something, I didn't just like vomit it all over my wife and let her figure it out Um, Mm -hmm. because it turns out that's not all that attractive in the long term. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) But but I do want to say that uh, about this topic of you know men ex, ex, sort of being aware of their emotions um i think we've we've had the pattern in the past where you know we didn't really do that very much verbally i think some of it is just the past was a more physical time
0: mm-hmm. it was
1: just everything you you could express it physically and it didn't necessarily be just just like kicking something it was putting your shoulder to the plow it was Solving a lot of just physical problems that were in front of you and that emotionality had a place to go. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's natural to us. I think today we've developed kind of this field of counseling, but a lot of men who go into, go into that, find that it's, it doesn't really resonate with them. It feels feminine. It feels Mm -hmm. like there's feminine imperatives. um, And, it's sort of geared towards solving uh, feminine problems. Yeah. Um, and so uh, one of the things that I love about the guy who is my coach, Mark Quepit and his material, which I highly recommend, um, is that he focuses on really doing what ends up being deep emotional work, but it's in very masculine terms. And it's in ways that just really resonated to me and resonate with a lot of guys.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So that's interesting. So why don't you take me through that? What was there anything, first of all, that stuck out that kind of brought you to an aha moment or really impacted and transformed the way that you perceived your relationship and the conflicts? Um, well,
1: I mean, it started, you know, this, this whole path and section of my life, started with getting really serious about quitting porn that was okay. something that was an issue for me for about 25 years okay. um since puberty and as a as a christian that was something that you know was frowned upon you felt guilty about you prayed to god to stop doing it you mm-hmm. tried all the things and you would have what they would call like seasons of victory and then seasons where things were harder and stuff mm-hmm. like that but it never it never really stopped. And that, that went parallel with my marriage being okay, or what I thought was okay. Um, but I didn't, I didn't have the other track to compare it to. Hmm. And so, um, I got really serious about that about seven years ago. And I discovered sort of the the secular porn recovery movement, which was a little more, um, a little more science-based and, um, Mark Kweppit was a big fi- big figure in that. And so it was focused on a very specific thing. Okay. How do you, how do you quit porn? Which ends up really being a question of how do you come to terms with your primal sex drive
2: Mm. and
1: like all the feelings, all the power, all the drive and desire around that. Um, how do you integrate that? How do you direct it? How do you have some control over it where it's not just controlling you?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And so the toolkit around that, something that I think all men can relate to, this like fierce primal hunger uh, around sexuality, that um, when you start to deal with that, then it has a domino effect because that's linked to a lot of other things. And you, you get to, you say, okay, well, I get to know, get to know my sort of emotional side. Yeah. And you find out that that's the side with all the power. That's aside with all the motivation and the and the drive and the passion.
0: Yeah, and 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 that's interesting too. Do you find, did you find in your experience, this is just something that I recall just reading about? I think from some porn studies, this idea that the reason so many men to turn to porn in this form of this addictive kind of behavior is because there's something really rooted and wounded underneath that they're just not willing to look at. And sometimes it could just be a confusion about your own sexual identity. And it, and it could be a confusion about just how you relate to yourself, like sexually and bodily with yourself. And then, you know, there's other different angles and approaches and and wounds, but was any of that, did any of that come to surface for you when you were kind of navigating and questioning all this and working through like, using the porn and having this discovery that you had insecurities about really just what it meant to be a sexual person as a man and as a husband or anything like that?
1: I think, um, I mean, I don't, I don't really like resonate with, I I don't resonate with the term woundedness around all of that. Okay. Because you know, if this is something you've had since puberty or whatever, it's more, it's more of a stunted growth. Mm -hmm. It's more like, what you what you have if you get addicted to that, like getting addictive patterns around porn, around masturbation, when you're like in in just immediately going through puberty, mm-hmm. you've got the introduction of a of a sex drive to a, to a young man who's not used to having to deal with it, um, and what that can turn into if you're not ca- careful is this magical feel good button,
2: mm.
1: where it will it will regulate your emotions, it will regulate your mood. It'll make you feel like you're on top of the world. For it'll give you an orgasm, right? Like, and it'll it'll give you an orgasm charged with novelty, right? Which is what the porn provides. Mm -hmm. It's novelty. It's this, and it'll give you sort of simulate the feeling of being a you know King Solomon, Genghis Khan kind of guy, where it's like, okay, what men throughout history have had that experience of being able to say, "I uh, tonight I'd like you, 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 and you." Yeah. That was not very many of them. And if you yeah. were one at the very top, you had won the genetic jackpot, right? You were the you were yeah. on top of the world. Your status was super high. Now combine that experience with being an awkward kid in high school, knowing that you're kind of down on the totem pole, the other kids are making fun of you, the girls aren't paying attention to you, all those things that are kind of the stuff of life, and that in you know normal like healthy development, spur you to get over your fears, to put yourself up out there, do that effort. Well, instead you've got this magical feel good button. And so that stunts ends up stunting masculine development, stunting that sort of risk-taking mm. spirit um, drive. And then what it also does is this other emotional stuntedness where if you're feeling bad, if you're feeling any sort of status anxiety, which you can get with anything. I mean, at work, you know, your boss didn't like some project you did, or, you know, you have some family problem, or you have some stress in life. Well, you can, you know, teleport yourself into this, you know, I'm Genghis Khan and the king of the world emotional state. And what happens after a while is that your brain, as far as I can tell, um, your brain will actually just go ahead and connect the circuit. And you interpret a lot of negative emotion. You just simply interpret, interpret as being horny.
2: Mm.
1: Um, And um, in quitting it, what I would, what I would find, I I literally found this Danielle, where I, I was like, all right, I'm not going to do this. And I, and I knew through Mark's training to ask the question, I was like, okay, what do I want right now? Well, you know, I want sexual gratification. It's like, okay, but is there anything else going on? It's like, well, yeah, I'm really stressed about work. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. what about, well, I have this, these, this task and it's not really clear how to accomplish this task. And I can't accomplish the task because it's not been spelled out clear. And it requires this stakeholder and that stakeholder. And the last time they got in a room together, they weren't getting along. And so I need to sort of wrangle this personal thing in addition to this professional thing. And I, it turns out to solve your problem, you have to go many, many steps and you're not even aware of it. Mm. You're just like, I'm horny. <laughs> and so mm. the emotional, it's like the emotional maturity to be like, oh, okay, I've got this gut in me that's gonna alert me to problems that I really need to attend to. Um, and that's kind of siphoned off. So huh. yeah, it's a okay, lot better, a so, lot better without it.
0: That's, that's super interesting though. It's almost like porn is being used as the coping mechanism to oh, yeah. in a ADHD kind of way. Like I know I have an essay due tomorrow, but I'm going to go clean my fridge out. Right. Like you're looking yep. for that distraction. So you don't have to go deal with the problems. And that just might have a lot to do with just your conflict resolution style and what you learned growing up and having brought that into your adult relationships, you're maybe coming to terms with realizing that might not work either. So that is, that's just a really interesting way to look at it. So, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to archive that.
1: (laughs) Well, it's the, the reason why a lot of approaches for helping guys quit don't work or one reason is because they see I mean, like a lot of addictions, right? They they see porn as the problem rather than as the stopgap solution right. to the problem. Right. And what, what a lot of guys have, end up finding is that um, actually porn is load-bearing in their life. It is essential for their emotional regulation. And so you actually, in order to quit it, you have to build some structure in its place.
0: Mm. And
1: uh, I mean, I like to refer to that structure as manhood
0: um and finding meaning and purpose and other things and learning how to redirect your sexual energy maybe too
1: yes but it's the certainly but like when i when i think about sexual energy and directing it like competently it's it's directing it at real problems yeah it's directing I, i mean one of the things that um men learn and the the programs that I've worked with. And, you know, I've coached, I've coached alongside uh, Mark Weppett, you know, helping to coach a lot of guys quit this. And it's what, what men can do is they can take sexual frustration and they can channel it towards a workout or channel it towards mm-hmm. cleaning the garage or anything like that. And it, it's really positive. It's, it's a real contribution to their life. And that's natural for us. If you, if you go back to our, you know, hunter gatherer, you know, tribal ancestors, right. You know, you have some, some little 14 year old boy who's really horny and none of the, none of the girls in the tribe of like 200 people are paying attention to him and he's frustrated. And one day, one of the, some of the men in the tribe tell him, well, come on the hunt with us. And he goes on the hunt and he's intimidated and he's kind of scrawny or whatever, but he's also got all this pent up sexual frustration and he overcomes his fear and takes down his first kill. And then he walks back into the village with this, uh, you know, deer or something slung over his shoulder. And one of the older guys patting him on the back. And it's at that point walking in, not a care in the world, not like not even a sexual thought in the world at that moment that some of the young ladies in the tribe say, wait a second, who's that? I, I've never noticed him before. And so yeah. that, that was a natural way for our sexual frustration to be channeled towards things that in, increase our status, bring value to other people. And then that's the thing that then, you know, helps women notice us. Which I'm on board. Then,
0: that's then true. Feeds
1: into sexual opportunity
0: okay so this touches on so many really important points right now okay so number one yes absolutely so the way i see it is, sex energy is erotic energy and erotic uh, the erotic is essentially the energy of love right mm-hmm. and so i've always found that too like i'm i'm not gonna lie i was a hornball growing up right like i was mm-hmm. a hornball i wanted to have sex all the time and i got to a point where someone told me you need to re that energy like you're otherwise you're gonna rack up a list danielle like "Mm, really and so really it's about recognizing your sexual energy or your erotic energy is creative energy and Mm -hmm. it's energy of vitality and liveliness and and excitement and discovery and exploration and and pushing your own personal boundaries and testing the strength of your uh, testing the limits of your strength and so it's interesting that you also correlate it that way i had a guest on um, a few months back too, who kind of said the same thing. And that's what he was guiding men about is this in, the, in that similar angle is like, you have this energy and you want to go to porn, but you have to learn how to divert this creative energy in physical fitness or exercise or, you know, rough housing and, and doing something physical as a man is super duper important. And something I think that you know, as we get older, it's important for women too. play is important. Exercise, movement, diversion of energy is important. But I notice, especially for, for, for men and boys, I have three boys. I noticed <laughs> this, like you can't, it's a thing. they need, they need it. They need physical contact. They need physical touch. They need to basically redivert that energy. And it's super duper important. And I just, I love that, that that's, A part of that 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 coaching foundation that you have too and recognizing that and what it does is it expands you know really our awareness for what sex and sexual energy and what our sexuality is really capable of and what it can mean and then we can pull it out of this little box that we keep shoving sex and sexuality in and it 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 essentially frees you when you're Mm. when you're freed by that energy you know you can redirect it anywhere you realize Oh, I was just choosing the sex option, but there's like 50 options here. Right. And, and in choosing those options, it, it really expands your perspective on life too. And it, it can help you get through times where you're not having sex. Right. Right. But that creative energy, I think, especially for the masculine essence is really where it it can be further developed and strengthened in that problem solving capability too. Yeah, I love that. There was another point I was going to touch on. Oh yeah, I do remember this. So like the porn thing, just something I wanted to share. It's an option, but not a lot of people like this option. And and I agree with you, when you're exploring like why people want to use porn, it's important to recognize it as a symptom of a problem and not the actual problem because a lot of times what happens with people who quit porn, sometimes they unfortunately pick up a another destructive habit in its place. Right. And so one option I just want to, this is something I have noticed has worked. It worked within my own marriage is sometimes you have to give yourself permission to use the porn, right? Like I, I just recognize this from my own standpoint, telling my husband, I don't want you to look at porn. It makes me uncomfortable. Stop looking at porn, didn't work. So I finally went, fine, go look at it. And then sometimes I'd be like, do you want to go look at porn right now? Or I'd say, did you look at porn today? And he'd be like, no, I didn't really want to. And I found that sometimes when you grant permission to the thing that you keep telling yourself, you have to deny, it frees you from the desire of it. Cause you're like, Oh, now it's okay.
1: Yeah. No, there's, there is, there's tremendous power in that. Um, that's part of the, part of the way, um, Part of the way we do things, um, when we're we're coaching guys who are going through this, and say uh say a guy has a relapse. Um one of the things that we'll ask is okay, try to get in your head at the moment and give us the strongest pro porn argument. It's okay to look at porn because, and you know, they'll, they'll say, Oh, well, obviously it's not. And it's like, well, bullshit, like you know why you keep you thought, doing
2: it yeah. you,
1: you not only think it's okay you think it was your best option why and there's and what you find out when you get that when you really get that argument and you're honest you find oh well isn't that a bunch of stupid thinking you find actually you've got some really you've got some really good desires there you got some things you want mm-hmm. and um and so to be really to be really honest with the the argument that you think you're supposed to be fighting, but that you're actually supposed to be listening to, mm. uh, to, you know, to find the piece that you're missing, it's on the other side. And I mean, you're absolutely right. It Once you take the pressure off, it's like, no, you can't do that. Once you frame it, it's like, no, you could. I, I'm a free man. I absolutely could do that. And you know what? You know what, Self, like if if that's our best option, we're going to do it. Because why would we not do the best option? Let's just make sure we've considered all our options.
0: Yeah. When
1: you and when you take that mindset, it takes it takes the pressure off, and you don't have this feeling of trying to force yourself. Because in the end, when you're tra- talking about your rational versus your sort of instinctive emotional self, the instinctive emotional self is a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. You're not going to just out muscle it, but you might if you ask the right probing questions, you might be able to direct it at what you really want.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Or at least seduce it for a time being.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Pro seduction.
0: Yes. 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 Um, Okay. So like I said, I watched, I watched this conversation that you had with Mark about this coaching program and You know, I, the thing, let me see if I, I took another one.
1: Yeah, I can just introduce it while you're looking at your notes.
0: Yeah, we'll go ahead and introduce it. And then I'll, and then I'll probably just be refreshed because. So
1: the, the program, um, it's called Reforged Marriage and I developed it kind of out of necessity because what I found was a lot of guys who, a lot of married men who were trying to quit porn and they were making some good progress, but they would end up getting, really triggered really off kilter from sexual rejection with their wives. So they're used to this kind of sexual stimulus at on demand and they're doing okay doing without it. But then this like emotional rejection from her will just really throw them off kilter. Mm. And so what I found was that a lot of these men needed a vision for, um, for sexuality and marriage, for what it looks, how, okay, you've taken, you're redirecting this energy. How do you competently engage your wife sexually? And what I ended up finding was that this was relevant, not just to guys, to men quitting porn. It was relevant to men just starting out in their marriages, men with like dead bedrooms, generally. Um, It was a process I had to go through. And I had to look at all sorts of sources and travel all across the four winds, trying to understand and found something that really worked in my life. And it's been extremely gratifying to see it work with other guys.
0: I love that. So, you know, one thing I do remember from hearing that promo was how important is for a husband to really understand the mind of a woman. And to understand the wiring of a woman and to try and get in touch with understanding the sexuality of a woman and recognizing that it's different. And mm-hmm. so walk me through that. How do you introduce men to that where men are like, you just need to understand women? I uh, I <laughs> imagine most of them are like, she just needs to understand me. You know, <laughs> I'm simple, right? Like, <laughs>
1: Right. Right. I mean, just... I mean if she would just have sex with me everything would be great yeah you know? like, what do we
0: have to understand here
1: <laughs> it's, it's really just lay back darling you yeah know? no <laughs> um no it's well i mean it, in a sense like we're problem solvers right like like so and and you know i mean there's the there's the joke you know it's it's not about the nail i don't know if you saw that video um Maybe not. There's There was a viral video going around about a woman and she's got like a nail in her forehead and she just wants the man next to her to like validate her feelings about how much it hurts. And he's just like, but if we pulled it out, maybe
0: it that would, would Yeah, it she's wouldn't like, hurt I anymore. Think,
1: I just think you're trying to fix everything and not listen to me. And Anyway, so <laughs> nevertheless, um, that doesn't mean our problem solving imperative isn't really useful. It's just, it's not so much that it's that women, women do genuinely want to be listened to before we just solution them, yeah. um, and so I think I think when it comes down to like why do why do men need to understand women um to improve their sex lives? Gosh, this is too simple of a question <laughs> because this is this is the landscape that you're trying to work with. This she is. I think fundamentally, it it really helps to understand that, like, if she were to just consent to have sex as often as you wanted, but she wasn't enjoying it, then actually you wouldn't be happy either. Yeah. Um, uh, Some men who have dead bedrooms think they might, but actually that just really reluctant kind of pity sex isn't all that different from masturbation in spirit. It really isn't. Yeah. And it isn't, it isn't just that. I mean, it's doesn't have the emotional fulfillment of just being really close to the other person, but it's also just not creative and fun and, you know, heart pumping and all that other stuff. And so what, what we're really longing for is all of those feelings that come from that. And, um, we can't, we can't get that unless we were taking her on an adventure. And the part that a lot of men don't understand is that uh, the female sex drive is fundamentally responsive in a way that ours is is rather spontaneous. And so you can, I mean, I thought this about my wife too. It's like, well, why did she just let her desire die? Why did she just let her libido, you know, fade away? Why did she do this to me, right? (laughs) right and then um what you find that was that was actually a revelation to me in some of the material that i looked into uh is that a lot of times this can be an implicit response to what you're presenting her with in yourself yeah so um how does how does this work i mean i I think a lot of it from a more evolutionary psychology standpoint is just that uh sex we've kind of forgotten about this but historically it actually makes babies yeah you know it's it's related to reproduction would you believe it (laughs) um it's crazy and i I don't know you get pregnant from that no some (laughs) archaic idea and a woman's body agenda cares about her not dying Mm -hmm. And if you if you go back and all of our sexual instincts, our sense of arousal and attraction, all of that's calibrated, not for like a modern high tech world. It's calibrated for the old world, the world of, you know, tribes of people building houses and trying to, you know, etch out a life on the land with a lot of danger and everything else.
0: Yeah. Fragility and scarcity at every corner. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And so if you say, okay. I'm going to do this thing. It's going to make me sick and, you know, awkward because I'll be pregnant and I'll be eating for two and everything else. So I'll produce more and I'll need or I'll produce less and I'll need more. And then I'm going to go through this extremely dangerous experience of childbirth where I may die. And it's certainly I will not be able to protect myself during it. And then after that, I will have this infant that's going to depend on me and I'll have to to nurse the infant and care for it, be attentive to its needs, and I'll need more resources and protection all through this huge period of time. It's like multi-year commitment of intense vulnerability. Sounds great. Let's do it on a whim.
0: Yeah. And and no, like- That was a big risk then. That was a big risk. Yeah. It's a tremendous
1: risk. And our instincts are still calibrated to that
0: but and, now we have contraception
1: <laughs> sure but uh, your body agenda doesn't know about that
0: that's true
1: and so your your libido doesn't know about that and so all of all of our the ways that we're meant to respond is calibrated to that world and say okay what are you going to set against all of that risk um, all of that consequential stuff well with a with a woman's body agenda it's like well it's him that's what I'll set against it. I know he's strong. I know he's willing to take risks. He will. He's willing to face danger. I know he's socially competent. He can, if he doesn't have the resources, he can get it from the tribe. He. He's not going to make other people mad. He's going to, you know, smooth things over. He can defend me. He can, he is productive. He can provide for me. And he just makes me, he makes me feel safe. And so you have that that sense of needing to feel safe um, that she feels. And a lot of that's coming from you, not from, Oh, I'm, I'm not going to do you any harm, but I'm the sort of person that has all of these qualities. And I feel really safe with, I'm with you when I'm with you. And so I feel like I can relax and open up.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, it's even a little bit more than that with women too. This is the contradiction of arousal and desire is that, I need safety, I need to feel secure, I need to feel like someone's not staring at me through my bedroom door or through my window, but I also need spontaneity and vitality and curiosity and Mm -hmm. creativity. And it's like, how do you straddle that paradox then? Because, you know, and I've talked about this with other men too, you tell them, well, women need both and they're like, why is it so fucking complicated? What the fuck? What am I supposed (laughs) to do with this, right? and my husband too we've joked about this he's like i need to make sure the environment's staged and the kids are asleep and the doors are locked and then also uh, we have to have fantasy and story and and it's building intensity and passion and and it's a lot of work mm-hmm. but when you think about it it kind of has to be because you have the potentiality to create a whole fucking human life Right, so like right, it should exactly. be, but if that's that amazing contradiction of desire and intimacy within our marriages that sometimes put us in this really big conundrum because intimacy is see into me, see me, my vulnerability, see who I am, everything I am, but desire is uh, I need to want this. And if mm-hmm. if I know everything about you and I love everything about you, and then everything becomes predictable and pragmatic and just a part of this pattern, then it's so accessible and available that I'm no longer desiring it. It's just like meh, it's there. And so the one thing I have really been pushing is this idea, and it's not my idea. It was developed by Dr. Jack Marin. He wrote The Erotic Mind. And it is to cultivate and maintain desire within your relationship, desire requires attraction plus an obstacle. And mm-hmm. when we're married, that obstacle of pursuit is almost removed, right? Because right. we're living together now. And so it's like, and we stop pursuing each other. We just get comfortable with each other and we get into these routines with each other. And so what I've noticed is you, sometimes you got to inject that novelty. You have to inject an obstacle or an unavailability or a distance in order to really get that desire and that passion reignited.
1: That's absolutely true. I mean, you know, you can, one of the ways you can talk about that is she needs to miss you sometimes.
0: Yes, right? so there is, exactly. You need to go
1: away. You need to be the sort of man who's on a mission, who's excited about something, not just like always looking at her, but being excited about something else. And then, and then, you know, his presence comes back and you're really excited to see him and that's the interesting thing about that pattern that sort of flirtatious back and forth kind of pattern i found that thinking about that that's true on the small scale like during sex itself you know you don't just steady to the end right there's a lot of teasing teasing and 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 pulling and and pushing yeah right you're building up to something yeah well that i mean that um that is true in like just seduction over the course of an evening you just you come in Mm -hmm. give her a big kiss squeeze her um squeeze her butt or whatever and then I've got something to do yeah you pull away and you give and that's it's the cadence of a dance right there's like I take my step then I create space for you to take your step you have a part to play and I think uh one of the things that does with women uh particularly because you know we can we can be so strong and so dominant that like us willingly pulling back and saying, now I'm going to invite you to have your own turn. Um, Now you don't feel forced. You feel like, okay, I've got some control. I
0: have a choice in this.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's true. So that's true over the course of an evening. It's true when you're getting to know somebody, when you're dating them, you can have the best conversation with the first conversation and then you need to go away. Yeah. And then they need to meet you again. And it's that second time they meet or second or third or fourth time where they've, you've had that push and pull that you could actually probably like, that's where the real mere mortals could ask somebody on a date yeah. not this perfect pickup line or some such nonsense that they talk about, but oh, so good to see you again. You want to get coffee sometime.
0: Yeah. Oh, wait. Not, coffee dates are a red flag. You can't, shh. you can't bring that up. Oh, well.
1: Red flag. Oh, well. Sorry about that. Red flag.
0: So, when it comes to this dance idea, this just brings up something I've been thinking about actually. Um, dancing has a has a lead. Do you think there's a hierarchy in a relationship? Do you think there's a leader in the relationship? and do you think it should be the man or do you see it a different way? Um,
1: I say that there's there's definitely I think there is a lead in the sense of a dance. Um, and I, and I think that there's a lot of, how do I put this? Cause this is, this is one of those questions where you can get in trouble, right? Well, um,
0: not with depending. me. I'm not judging you. <laughs> we're, we're thinking out loud while we're talking. So there's no, no worries about that.
1: There's a lot. Of, I mean, it's, it's very charged right now. I've had lots of discussions with it, even yeah. on the Twitter today, Yeah, but, uh, but the, the idea that, um, females certainly from a from a sexuality perspective her libido tends to be responsive and so a lot of times there's desire that she would like to be unlocked in her that you need to take the initiative to unlock Mm. and that's actually your gift to her and so if you're you as a man are just real passive and just kind of waiting for her to make the move then y'all are not going to have sex as often as deep down she would like to um and so that's to see it, at that sort of initiation as a, as a gift. And then, but you can't do that in the bedroom and it be completely incongruent with the rest of your life. It's, mm-hmm. it's not going to feel, I mean, congruence is a good word. Like women, women have a real fine palette for incongruence in a man. If something feels put on, if it doesn't jive with the rest of his life, it's, it's almost like, almost a nausea thing where it's like, okay, okay. My inner ear is not agreeing with That's an X
0: factor, right? That's it's an X. Ic. Yeah. It's, but because there's, yeah, there's, something's something just not translating properly. Yeah.
1: And so, so the idea is if you're, if, if you want to be all decisive and just leading on this adventure in the bedroom, but you don't, don't do that when you're taking her on a date, you don't do that in the evening at home. Um, then there's going to be an incongruence. And so there is a type of, of really good family leadership that a man can engage into that isn't shutting her down. It isn't like t- trying to take away her agency, but it's just, it's being decisive. It's showing initiative. It's bringing some of that excitement and adventure and ideas and everything else such that, for example, when you're taking her out on a date, you, you plan it. And you surprise her, and you let her relax into the experience of a date, and that same feeling then will translate to a better dynamic. You know, when you're having a sexual experience.
0: Yeah. So, in within this coaching plan, is there is there a stage of teaching men how to be more accountable and aware of being more congruent and consistent with what he's presenting to his oh, partner? Oh, yeah. What's yeah, that absolutely. Look like?
1: Well it's kind of everything. I mean, there's only so much that you can't actually guarantee any effects with her. Mm -hmm. And so none of this stuff that we do, if we're doing it with the right ethos, um, you can't be like, well, I tried to be, you know, a decisive man showing initiative, making love to life, being passionate and on a mission, but then she didn't have sex with me more. So I stopped. Mm. Right. You can't that kind of, I mean, we talk about incongruence right if it's an act um it's not going to fly that might work if you're having a one night stand at a bar or something but that's not going to work in a marriage she'll know you too well mm-hmm. and and so the idea is that these things are these things are the things that are the makings of a life worth living even if you didn't get the sexual results while also happily being the absolute best and most likely path to the sexual results. Mm. So, so yeah, I mean, we talk about family leadership. Uh, One of the things, I mean, one really, really practical thing that kind of (laughs) blew my mind when I first heard it, I'm a little embarrassed to say, was uh, Athel Kay in the Married Man's Sex Life Primer said, when your wife asks you, hey, honey, should I make the chicken or the fish for dinner tonight? there are two correct answers and there is one wrong answer the dead bedroom answer <laughs> correct sexy answer number one is oh let's have the fish and sexy answer number two is chicken all the way obviously and dead bedroom answer is i don't know honey whatever you want to do is probably- or
0: i don't care <laughs> i don't care yeah <laughs> like, yeah and- Corey, are you listening Corey, my love listen make a choice <laughs> oh it's gonna
1: it'll ruin it though listen baby it'll ruin if if he's doing it because you're nagging him though um
0: nope just slightly uh, suggesting right 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 take a different approach never nag but
1: the interesting thing here what I noticed so Athel said that and then I noticed it as a father with a bunch of actually they're not that picky little uh my boys are are pretty darn They're pretty darn good eaters but stereotypically anyway there's always oh no mom not fish again right and then what can she say in that instance
0: well getting my making you well no 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 it was it it was
1: it was your father your father said oh oh what did you just what did you just do you protected her Mm. you gave a shield it's like all all that criticism Ah comes on me. And I took it on willingly. I've got your back, honey. And it's such a minor thing. It's such a small thing, but you're making her feel I've got you covered.
0: And collaborating with her to make a decision too, right? Oh, sure. It's not not
1: like, therefore, you just always tell her what to do. No, it's if she's coming to you for a decision, you give her a decision.
0: Yeah. And the reason she's doing that, this is just the reason I do it with my own husband. I ask him all the time, what do you want? Should I make you this or this? And he's like, baby, I'll eat whatever you want. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm trying to bring you into this collaboration and decision making. Will you tell me what you want? (laughs) But that's that's the thing that my husband and I are always kind of reeling with too, is will you just tell me what you want? not what you don't want and don't go around just what do you want you know my my husband what do you want from me woman <laughs>
1: <laughs> well and it's it's good it's good to cut through that I I think yeah. um I mean in a similar thing sometimes with larger decisions where they are collaborative it's it's very helpful and indeed very loving for the man yeah. to say okay we've we've gone we've gone back and forth like One of with ours was a major educational choice about one of our kids and she had done all the research. I hadn't done all the research, but she brought it to me and we were going back and forth and she was so stressed out. She was vexed. She was so worried about making the wrong choice. And I listened to everything and went through it with her. And then I said, I'm going to make a call. We're going to do this. And if it turns out to be the wrong call, it is not on you. And for her, that's just the relief. Just that yeah. it's like, because, yeah, that that I would what you're saying is, and that is an aspect of leadership to say, I'll take the fall.
0: Yeah, I'll take the burden and the decision making process because it's too much for you. And I'll take that on. And that's just what we do in relationships.
1: It's, if if people are coming, you know, for somebody's head to, to blame someone when something goes wrong. It's going to be me. It's not going to be you. It's going to
0: be me. Sorry, Justin Timberlake just popped into my head right there. I apologize for that.
1: I'll I'll let it slide this once.
0: Okay. Just one time. Again, one time pass. All right. So talk to me more about this. You had mentioned something that you have this, you have something going on a week from Saturday. Can you tell me a little bit about
1: that? Yeah. So the program I'm talking about reforged marriage, um, we're starting, yeah, we're starting a new cohort um, the deadlines a week from Saturday. So I'm looking for about, about 12 men. And this is the first one that i kind of promoted on myself, by myself on the X platform. So um, normally I've done it with, uh, in partnership with Mark, but he's focused on a new program that he really wants to focus everything on. So he wants he wants us to, um, me to try doing it separately for this period, though we're probably going to collaborate more shortly thereafter. But anyway, um, we're, we're launching that and I've gotten a lot of just a lot of inquiries. I didn't even just sort of sharing some of these thoughts on the platform and, um, yeah, just the amount of stories I've heard. I'm just surprised at how much it's resonating with people. I mean, there's Danielle, I think there's part of me where Maybe this is a bad, <laughs> this goes back to your initial question for me. It makes me a little almost angry um, when I see men who are just wanting to know basic things about how to interact with their wives and yeah. how to develop as a man. And they, sh- I don't think, I mean, my my day job is still, I'm a software engineer. You know, I don't have, you know, years and years of like formal training in psychology. And yet if these guys go to a local counselor or they go to a pastor, they're probably not going to hear, in my opinion, the advice that they need. No. So, you know, there's opportunity lurks where responsibility has been abdicated, but um, they shouldn't have to come to me. They should be able to come to any clergyman any counselor and really be set straight in, in what I think, you know, should be an ideal world. But in the meantime, um, I think there's just a tremendous amount of power that men can have and they feel stuck and they feel helpless. And a lot of times they find, they can find that the ball's actually in their court. So.
0: And so I to do that this group of 12, is this something you're going to do where like, it's a, it's a communal thing, a collective thing with all of you attending together, or are you just looking for like 12 people that you really want to focus in on working in? What's that look like?
1: Yeah. So one of the things that I've, I've been doing over the past several years, just locally in my church is having groups of men, having these sorts of conversations. Okay. Um, And so having a lot of experience, what that's like fostering a group of men being really hard hitting with each other in person, um, and so this is also it's gonna we're gonna have it's gonna be online, but we're gonna have a group some one group call every week, and then also we're gonna have a Discord server where people are comparing notes and um, going back and forth, and then I'm gonna be going over exercises and giving feedback and that kind of thing. So just really collaborative.
0: I like that. I like that. That sounds really good, and I think. I think you're right, too. When it comes to especially psychology, just from what I've discovered from being immersed in it, it is very it is very feministic. I don't mean that like, boo, feminism. I just mean there's a lot of feministic ideology in psychology and in the therapy offices and in the books and in the and in all the structures and the methods. And they are more female oriented, right? Mm -hmm. They are more feminine oriented, um, and I recognized this just through the the therapy, my husband and I had went through, you know, we went through couple's counseling, we went through different forms of family counseling and even individual. And he, a lot of the times I was like, this shit ain't going to work for a man. What the hell are they doing? Like what you want? My husband are writing a journal every day. Good luck. Good luck. I've been trying to get my husband to write in a journal for five years. He's got about four entries a year. He's making progress. Okay. That's all I care about progress but i i don't i don't always think that that's the right approach for men and more and more studies are revealing too that therapy is good for women but the type of therapies available out there are not considerate of men or even the male brain to that regard and so you know it's sad but at the same time it's really good that more people are showing up like you to say, okay, I know all that shit sucks. Do you want to try with me? And mm-hmm. maybe I can help encourage you and you can see some kind of change in your life. And if that's what's available, I think that's even better because there is that stigma with going to a therapist. There's right. also the insurance hassle of going to a therapist and sometimes they're way too fucking expensive. And right. so I think this is, I think this is just an, uh, a culmination of what happens, when we all get a little too bamboozled and overwhelmed by the expert circles of fuckery. And so, I mean, I've seen this too, right? Like I was in the psychology field. I discovered four years in, there's no way in hell I'm playing these rules to mm-hmm. go get a PhD or a master's. So I'm going to do it my way. And so I think that's just the... the general evolution of society, right? Like sometimes the experts and the authority, the authority just start failing. And so we kind of have to stand up and be like, Hey, Hey, no, no, no. I see all this shit going on. Cause that's kind of what I did. I was like, I, I can't not, because Mm -hmm. for me, I was like, I have a really awesome marriage. My husband is awesome and we've gone through a lot of shit, but we still think everything is awesome. Mm -hmm. And People need to know that that's possible. So if we have to rise up from the ashes, we shall. Well, um, for,
1: for such a time as this, Danielle. I exactly. mean, exactly. It's it's very. It is empowering. It's mm-hmm. extremely empowering to say, okay, we can look around and there's no one else who's going to save us. Yeah. And so it's up to us, and we can do it. Yeah, and all of a sudden that it's, that builds that builds just a sense of feeling powerful. Yeah, and
0: especially sorry, like
1: Adam Lane Smith, you know, on yeah. uh, when he talks about this, he had an insight I thought was really good. Is that in a lot of therapy circles, um, they're geared toward a female model of depression. Yeah, right. It's like, and women when they're feeling depressed, at least according to him, they need to feel loved. They need to feel valued and loved. Well, and so they try that with men and it doesn't seem to help as much. And that's because when 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 male depression, male depression is a lot of times fueled by feelings of not being able to control their situation, feeling not feeling powerful, not feeling Mm. competent. And that speaks to more of some of our core fears. And so if you, you treat male depression like female depression, you don't you don't get that you don't get those results. But if you say here, let me show you something you can go out, do start feeling confident, because you see yourself getting better at it, and then hold, you know, puff your chest out a little bit, be proud of yourself. Oh, yeah, no, I feel great. <laughs> so
0: yeah, and you know, that that's actually, you know, in the in the beginning, especially with Freud and Young, it was more about like, and in, in, in Carl Rogers pushing people to face their fears and not Oh, just write about him, sweetie P. Let's just write him down. Let's just <laughs> sit with them. Let's just make yeah. an affirmation to make ourselves feel better. That doesn't always work. Sometimes you have to go, you know what, man? Tonight your challenge is go to the bar and go approach one person and just mm. ask them, do you know what time mm. it is? You know? Well, and just <laughs> ex- just wor- tiptoe. You got to tiptoe into this stuff. And so, um, okay, well, that's all of this is really awesome. I just... Trying to figure out, I want to wrap this up, but I want to make sure that we get the audience to know where, where they can find you and where they can connect with you so they can sign up for something like this if they're looking for a place where they can come and get some answers and support.
1: Yeah. I mean, right now it's just DMing me. Um, my username's is Dolphin which um it's a reference to a book called the island of the world okay i'm
0: the- so glad you cleared that up because i'm <laughs> i'm telling my husband i'm like what kind of name is this he's is like dumb. i don't know kinda well like it is it, it is if you and just
1: like look dolphin. at him i mean the name's losta but i Lasta. but it was already taken so oh, it's gotcha. like okay like the one from that book you know where the dolphin played the this key symbolic role in the book but okay. yeah um you know it's just a username i that think that helps I clarify though thank we you may it's confused it's a by the way, highly recommended um may well be may well be the best novel of the 20th century tell me the book again century, island of the world
0: island of the michael, world
1: michael o'brien and it's about a man it's sort of it's almost like a modern lay mis set in croatia starting and oh. starting world war ii and ending in the early 2000s so. Well, that sounds like Quite an interesting
0: epic. synopsis already. No, it's a cool book.
1: It's a cool username, I swear.
0: No, totally. I'm I, not judging it. I love it. Mine's so not original. It's just my name. I can't think of anything like creative. So, well, I can I when I paint,
1: to but... That. there's There's definitely some questions about fully removing anonymity when discussing deeply personal topics, but I may have to take the plunge.
0: Yeah, there's that. But I also think there's an appreciation with that anonymity too, because it's it's be- it's easier for you to like really believe someone's not going to judge you because you don't know too much. Mm-hmm. And so you can go away with this unconditional positive regard. Maybe, I don't know. I will make sure that your Twitter handle is in all the show notes so that those who are listening can come and find you and they can connect with you and figure out how to set up with this. It, it's it's The deadline is on the 20th of January. That's correct. correct. Okay. And so when does this officially kick off then in February?
1: Uh, We'll do the kickoff call the next day. Okay. So so the 21st. Yes.
0: Awesome. Okay. So I'll make sure I put all the details in that redirect everybody so that they can connect with you and follow you and find your inspiration and motivation. And I just want to say thank you so much for joining me and having this conversation with me. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks,
1: Danielle. Yeah, anytime.
0: All right. All right, well, you have a wonderful evening.